This is an AMI podcast. I'm Chuita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. There are things that are difficult to talk about, not difficult in the sense of being painful, but awkward or taboo. One of these things is disability and sexuality. Of course, just because talking about something is uncomfortable doesn't mean we shouldn't make the effort. One way to cut across the awkwardness and kickstart a conversation is through art. Art can be subversive, thought-provoking, and liberating. It's liberating for the artist who gets to put on a canvas or photograph or performance piece the things that they have no words for. And it's liberating for the audience who is invited to let go of of preconceptions to embrace alternative viewpoints. Today, we discuss disability activism through art. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juita Gupta. It's really good to be with you today. So today's show came about in a really fun way. As you might remember, last weekend we had a, an interview with Dr. Amy McPherson from Holland Bloorview Kids Hospital. And it was a great conversation and I had a lot of fun chatting about it and I, I hope you had fun listening to it. And then I heard back from Holland Bloorview saying, would you like to maybe talk to a couple of the artists. And I said, yeah, I would love that. So that's what we're doing today. We're actually gonna hear from two people whose work appears in the exhibit, which is called Illuminating the Narrative. And it talks about how youth with disabilities navigate the healthcare system and particularly how they talk about sexuality and sexual health and, you know, taking care of their well-being as people with disabilities who want to be in romantic relationships. Our first guest today is Wesley McGee Saxon, who is, of course, one of the artists who's put out a visual art piece, and they join us today from Toronto. Wesley, welcome to The Pulse. It's really good to have you on the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a privilege to be here. I'm super excited for the conversation. So am I. Okay, so let's just dive right into it. You've got one of many installations and works of art that makes up the illuminating exhibit. For those of us who haven't had a chance to see the exhibit, can you describe your specific contribution or your artwork? So what my artwork visually looks like is it's a chain that is across a standard hospital wheelchair. And in between the links of the chain are several objects that are related to how I perceive my sexuality. I don't have the piece in front of me. I believe uh, a few of the pieces have to do with my spirituality. Um, A few of the links have to do with mundane objects like fruit, things like that. That would be a quick description of the piece itself. Can you describe your process? How did you go about putting this piece of art together? So um, the opportunity to participate in the exhibit really came at probably one of the most opportune times it possibly could. Um, up, up until the point where I was asked to participate in this exhibit, I had been really closely examining my gender identity and sexuality for about six months at that point, um, after sort of 
gaining new language that I previously didn't have and questioning some things about how my disability and other intersectionalities interacted with those spheres. So my process was very much like reflecting on the work I had done up until that point and the information I was digesting and processing and sort of contextualizing that through the various lenses I examined my sexuality through and then sort of putting that in a physical manifestation with my disability at the forefront and then being supported by all my other intersectionalities, uh, whether they be privileged intersectionalities or oppressed ones. It's interesting that you went with a chain. Often when people think of chains, they think of uh, things that hold them back or things that are oppressive or even linkages, I suppose. What is it that you were trying to communicate with the chain in your in your work of art? That is a fantastic question. Um, for, for me, because while gender identity and sexuality are incredibly different, um, like they, they're separate entities, but they are, of course, related in some senses. Um, for me, the chain was all about sort of both breaking it, but redefining the, the, the chains that are placed on disabled people in terms of sexuality by society in general. So in the sense, it is breaking, breaking those chains for myself, but also recognizing that some of those links on the chain, as you have said, have led to some wonderful discoveries. So I didn't want to like throw out the chain, but know that the chain is broken and is now an object that I can hold close to me and make my own in the sense that being disabled is to be infantilized and to be infantilized is to have a lack of gender or sexuality in my opinion. So eventually what I ended up doing was sort of in building my, my gender identity. Once I started questioning things, I do identify as a non-binary individual. Um, and my process for sort of figuring out what my, what my gender was once I had more, uh, terminology to understand and describe it was sort of realized that because I didn't necessarily have what, despite being assigned male at birth, I didn't have the typical sort of masculine experience growing up. So for me, it was sort of cherry picking the best parts of gender that I liked and sort of putting it together myself. And then in tandem with that came like processing uh, sexual assault trauma that I have and um, other trauma related around relationships and sexuality and sort of recognizing that in working through that trauma, I can break those chains, but I can't entirely throw it out. So it's really a multi-layered part of the piece, as you can tell. Certainly. And cherry picking the parts of gender that I like, that sounds amazing. You should think about putting that on a t-shirt. That is a very cool way of looking at a gender and gender fluidity. Um, this exhibit is supposed to look at how healthcare professionals deal with people with disabilities or more precisely don't deal with people with disabilities. What has your experience been like in the healthcare setting when having conversations with healthcare professionals about your gender, about your disability? Overall, it has been a net positive in terms of discussions of gender and sexuality. 
there have been certain instances with certain folks that I think have missed the mark in terms of helping me process trauma and speak about sexuality and relationships and gender because I, I am very sensitive around those subjects and they are often, you know, difficult for me to penetrate get underneath and get into. Um, but like relationships and sexuality is definitely something that I want. So in terms of that, it's definitely been a big, uh, a mixed bag rather with uh, a little bit more on the positive side of things. I, I will say that I've had some absolutely wonderful people and especially some wonderful um, disabled practitioners that were able to come at my trauma and my experience through their own disabled lens, which was incredibly helpful. So I was very privileged to have, you know, uh, a therapist with intersectionality similar to my own, which was very, very important. Um, the one thing I will say is in discussion of, you know, sexuality and disability and healthcare. I think a huge problem that comes with that is the fact that uh, marriage equality still doesn't exist for a lot of disabled people. And a lot of disabled people in terms of, you know, getting married or being in a relationship are at risk of losing their benefits. And because of that, I feel like folks with uh, disabilities in relationships and having sexual experiences have to hide to protect their government assistance in certain ways. And that's incredibly harmful to the community because for both, like in, inside the disabled community and outside, if we don't see examples of people, you know, in happy, healthy, and oftentimes, although not necessarily uh, sexually active relationships, if we don't see that, if we don't have evidence to that because folks have to, you know, hide that to protect their benefits a lot of the time. That um, can be something that how the healthcare system is sort of designed that's harmful to the community, in my opinion. That's a really good point. And just setting aside sort of the bureaucratic challenges and the systemic barriers in healthcare, in uh, government that preclude people with disabilities getting into committed relationships or even casual relationships, I suppose, what about the culture change that needs to happen? There is, um, on the one hand, a lot of taboo about sex and disability. On the other hand, um, if there is a discussion about sex and disability, it often goes along the lines of a person with a disability is vulnerable to sexual assault. Um, they uh, should be afraid of being traumatized. But we don't really see a conversation to the same extent about sex being pleasurable and sex being something that we should all want, regardless of ability. So if you think back on your artwork and you think back on your personal journey, how well established do you think the conversation is that says that sex is something that is pleasurable and should be enjoyed by everybody? You know, it's not very prevalent. And that, that is a huge, uh, a huge reason why I was so, so excited to be part of uh, the exhibit and the Let's Talk About Sex and Disability Day at Holland Blurview, because that day and that event was a wonderful, wonderful time where all aspects of disability and other intersectionalities and the way that privilege and oppression intersect was brought into the conversation about how, you know, sex is something that not everyone, but, you know, a majority of folks do want to enjoy in some form 
and how previously up to this point, the majority of discourse around sexuality and disability, especially where like the different conversations between being uh, visibly physically disabled and then being intellectually disabled or concerned has been very much one of harm prevention, as, as you said, um, and not necessarily focused on the fact that, you know, um, disabled people are hot. Disabled people want to have sex and do have sex. And how can we sort of make sure folks are safe and cared for while acknowledging that regardless of what your ability is or your intersectionality is, if you desire to have a sexual relationship, that should be something that you're able to try to pursue to find a partner. And there should be, you know, supports and resources in place for that, which is, again, why I was absolutely floored by the work of folks at Holland Blurview and felt very privileged to be both providing art to the exhibition and speaking as a day. We've got about 30 seconds left. Has the bug bitten you? Are you now an artiste? Are you going to be putting out more artwork? Uh, is there a place where we can see some of your artwork? Uh, I'm actually working on a new piece uh, for a study right now that's a follow-up to the whole thing. Uh, I would already consider myself a bit of an artist, but I'm mainly a performing artist. Right now, I don't have anything in production, but uh, I will certainly be announcing things when I do. So you'll you'll definitely hear about things. Absolutely. Keep us in mind if you want to chat about some of your ongoing work. And we always love to chat with cool people doing cool things for cool reasons. And it sounds like you fit the bill. Wesley, thank you so much for chatting with us today on The Pulse. It was a lot of fun getting to know you and finding out about your work. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm Jyothi Gupta. Today we're talking with some of the people who contributed to the exhibit Illuminating the, the Narrative, which is hosted by the Holland Bloorview Kids Hospital. And it's talking about how youth with disabilities navigate sexuality within the healthcare system. It's meant to be a way to open up a conversation, not just with healthcare professionals, but with everybody about how we have productive conversations and useful conversations about sex and sexuality with youth with disabilities. My next guest is Effie Belris, who is also one of the contributors to the exhibit. And Effie joins us today from Toronto. Effie, hi, welcome to the program. So nice to speak to you today. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your contribution to the exhibit Illuminating. What is it that you depict in your photograph? So in the photograph, I have me and my partner sitting on a couch at home with his walker in the background. So I did it from the perspective of sitting on the couch, looking out at our legs while we are watching TV and being comfy at home with our legs intercrossing one another. And why was it that this photograph, because what you're describing is, you know, two people sitting on a couch being comfy at home. That's an experience that a lot of us have if we're in relationships. Why is it that your image is so important? So when I was asked to do this project, uh, the topic was sexuality and healthy relationships. And I thought to myself, how can I portray that in a way that appropriate for younger audiences that's not 
true sexualized. So when I thought about doing this image, I was like, what's something that they can see? And what's something that, what's something that's allowed to be seen through their eyes? And I thought, maybe they have parents who can sit on the couch with them holding hands, with their legs up on the feet. That's not too risky. And so when you decide to put in this image, what sort of a reception have you gotten? Have people commented on the photograph? What are they saying about the picture? How has it resonated with the people who have seen the exhibit? I think it's gotten good feedback. Um, I showed it to a few of my friends and they're like, yeah, I think you nailed it on the head because you had to keep a man who the audience was and I think you kept it appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. I used to look at while still keeping in mind with the theme, which is really hard to do. So I think it, I think it resonated well with people. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You said it was a hard thing to do. Do, do you find it hard to talk about sexuality with your friends, your family? Are people open to having a conversation? What about when you got together with your partner? Uh, before you got to be at a place where you were sitting on the couch being comfy, you must have had to have a chat with your friends and family that you were seeing somebody. How did those conversations go? So they were actually really open conversations. Me and my friends chat about our partners all the time, like how the relationships go. And my family and his family was very open to it as well. Um, because him and I were friends for years before we decided to get into a romantic relationship, we had that sense of comfort that was already there that was just naturally progressing. So it didn't feel awkward or anything. And obviously it took time, mm-hmm. but sitting on the couch at home was kind of like a natural thing for us, mm-hmm. so. Right. You're like me. Everyone I've ever dated or been in a relationship with has started out being a friend. And that's always nice because you almost know the person beforehand. Uh, tell me a little bit about having a chat with uh, somebody at a, in a healthcare setting, maybe a family doctor. Uh, once you mentioned that you were seeing someone, did they start to have a different co- sort of conversation with you about sexually transmitted diseases or whether you were getting a pap smear? What sort of a conversation have you had with healthcare professionals about this? So that's where the, the that's where the interesting thing comes into play is that it wasn't really discussed. And I'm thinking to myself, well, sexual health and everything that comes with it is a part of overall health. So why is that not being talked about? Why is that not being brought up? So it's usually me who brought up the conversation. And when I do it was very generic responses like so when I was on when I went to ask about like birth control, they were just mm-hmm. giving me the general idea behind it and not like asking me further questions. Mm-hmm. Like the most I have gotten was are you sexually active? Mm-hmm. And when I say yes, that was it. When I said no, they don't ask further. Even when I said yes, they never asked further. And if they did, it was only taking the proper precautions. There was, you can't, like for me, you kind of had to initiate the conversation, which is awkward to do with a healthcare provider because 
kind of like superiority where you're mm-hmm. looking at someone on a different level. Mm-hmm. This is not like my friends who are going to chat about um, stuff like that within an open way. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's awkward to talk about it with a health chat provider. And if they don't bring it up first, is that because they're not sure what to say? Or is it because there's an assumption there, an ableist assumption there that, well, you know, here's a person with a disability, it's not like they're having sex? I don't want to put that judgment on a general medical um, profession. But I definitely think there's some medical professionals out there who don't want to talk about it because they don't think it's a possibility. And when, when someone dies, they don't think, I'm assuming that they don't think that we have like the ability to understand sexual health as a whole. And they try to chalk it up to like the basics. Like, I think having more openness for medical professionals, especially now that enjoyable relationships are more thing. Yeah. Can I ask you a little bit about maybe take us back a couple of years and and tell me a little bit about your experience in school? Because I'm thinking back to when I was in high school or middle school, actually, when we were getting sexual education. And, you know, I'm visually impaired and I don't remember being told anything that was necessarily different from what everybody else was being told. And a lot of things I had to figure out on my own uh, later on. And nor did someone think to ask me at the time if there were any concerns that I had that were specific to me as someone who's visually impaired. So if you think back to when you were in high school and we were all being taught about the birds and the bees, were you told anything that was different or did they have a conversation with you about sexuality that was representative of your experience as a person with a disability? So thinking back, not really. I grew up in the Catholic school system with able-bodied peers. So now that I think about it, no, there was no representation with disability in any of the curriculum. Um, none of the sexual health educators would make an effort to pull me aside, talk to me, make sure I understand it in a way that's fitting for my experience. Um, it was just a general conversation with everybody in my in the class, and nothing was catered to specific needs. And so when you think about the work of art that you put in, your photograph that you put in, what are you hoping will come out of this exhibition? What do you hope that doctors and anyone who goes on the website for the Holland Blue Review Hospital to see the artwork that you and others have put out, what are you hoping that they'll take away and what are you hoping that they'll get out of it? Open-mindedness. I think seeing it, it is... It is something that people with disabilities experience and want to experience and want to experience it safely and healthy. Um, I'm just showing medical professionals and people who view the, the exhibit that all people with disabilities want is happy, healthy relationships with whoever they choose to be with whether it be another person with a disability or an able-bodied individual. 
Hey, Effie, it was really good chatting with you about this and getting to know a little bit about your artwork and hearing a little bit about your experience. Thanks a lot for joining us on the program today. No problem. Thanks for having me. That was Effie Bellaris, who was one of many contributors to the Illuminating the Narrative exhibit put on by the Holland Blurview Kids Hospital. You can always find the exhibit in its entirety on the Holland Blurview website. If you want to go back and listen to any of my conversation today, or if you want to pick out the previous episode with Dr. Amy McPherson as well, you can find those on your favorite podcast platforms. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. And I occasionally put in a blog post as well, if the desire so strikes me. I also wanted to thank our guests today, both uh, Wellesley McGee-Saxon, as well as Effie Billeris for being on the show today. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is the technical producer for The Pulse. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. If you have any thoughts or comments about the programming, you can always drop us a line, write to feedback at ami.ca. You can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio and use the hashtag PulseAMI. Or you can give us a call at one 509 4545 That's 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us the permission to play the audio on the program. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you're staying safe, having fun, and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.